And now, The Federal Drive with Tom Temin. Hello, and thanks for joining us on this Wednesday, May 20th, 2020, six minutes past the hour. I'm Tom Temin. Our producers are Eric White and Peter Masurlian, our digital editors Amelia Brust and David Thornton. Coming up in this hour of The Federal Drive, a blue-chip trio of organizations takes on the question of agency management quality. Plus, the latest in a long-standing issue of cybersecurity at the IRS. Those stories and much more ahead during this hour of The Federal Drive. But first, leaders at the Veterans Health Administration were up against a massive challenge in the early days of the pandemic. Hire as many medical professionals as possible and get them working as fast as they could. Jessica Bongiorni is the Chief Officer for Workforce Management at VHA. The agency asked their HR specialists in the field, what would it take to onboard new employees in three days? Bongiorni says the lessons and the improvements VHA has made during the pandemic, well, they'll change the way the agency hires forever. She tells Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco just how many new people VHA has been able to hire. As you may be aware, we started preparing to address the COVID, what would be pandemic, before we knew it was going to be a pandemic early in the year. So starting in the January, February timeframe, we started looking at what we might need to do to expand our efforts. And really in March, we kicked into high gear with our recruitment efforts. So we did begin with a national uh, recruitment marketing campaign on social media, on commercial media, public service announcements, radio announcements, working with OPM to push out information to retirees and really trying to get the word out. So we uh, took an all hands-on tech approach with all of our staff trying to use their social media contacts to get the word out for what we're looking for. And really what we're trying to do is recruit for those key clinical occupations that you need in a situation like this, in particular nurses, housekeepers, respiratory therapists, supply technicians, anesthesiologists, a wide range of personnel to include medics and corpsmen. Uh, we really like to look for those former service members who have that key medical experience that we can bring in and have them work in our critical care areas. So we directed people to our VA careers website and we allowed a couple of different things. First, national job announcements that we posted on USA Jobs using the traditional methods, as well as the ability to apply directly by just uploading a resume or CV and going through our applicant tracking process where a recruiter would reach out directly to physicians in particular and to other occupations where we then take those applicants and send them right out to our field practitioners, the HR staff and the clinical leaders so they can start doing their recruitments locally as well. So that was pretty successful for us. We got a lot of interest in our recruitment activities, but as you're aware, we were competing with private sector as well because medical professionals are certainly in demand during this time. And Jessica, how many people have you been able to hire during the pandemic? We look at this a couple of different ways. So we were actually in a little bit of a a slower hiring period in the January, February timeframe. So compared to where we were in January, February of this year and last year, we did see a big surge in March where we went up in our hiring numbers by about 48% just in a two-week period. And then that leveled off again to another 11% surge in the next week. And now we have really steadied off to get more to normal high levels of hiring. We have seen quite a bit of activity in our overall hires. I'm looking at the data right now where we have over 12,000 hires that were added from between March 29th to May 18th. So I'll say, given the size of the VA, it takes an awful lot of hires 
to see a net onboard increase. So what we're looking at right now, based on normal turnover and making sure that we can replace and backfill positions of people who have left, we look to be at about a 1% increase. That's an early number, but just a 1% increase in overall onboards just in that six-week time frame. So on a normal basis, VHA grows by between 2 and 4% per year. And because we have upwards of 350,000 employees, that amount of growth is a lot of people and a lot of hiring activity. So we just, we really saw a big surge in the last six weeks. So now we're going to move into likely a sustainment period. We're going to continue to hire, but we need to maintain the growth that we have achieved in the last few weeks so that we can anticipate any future potential needs that we might see coming into the fall or down the line. Based on your last response, it sounds like you're constantly hiring and you, you constantly need to think about potential turnover and all of that. Just wondering if the people that you hired in the past, two months or so, if you expect them to be permanent or temporary, or you're not sure yet? So we're still looking at that data. So initial reports are that we have probably around 85% of those are were hired as permanent hires. Now that other 15% or so that were hired as temporary, they may be true temporary hires who we plan to bring on just for this surge. And they may be people who we plan to convert to permanent down the line. So one of the things that we did to try to support expedited hiring timelines was waive or postpone some of the normal pre-employment requirements to bring people on board. And when we do that, we are essentially delaying something that still needs to occur, in which case we end up appointing people on a temporary appointment until those normal requirements can be completed, and then they can be converted to permanent. So, for example, when we look at our medical professionals, one of the requirements we have for pre-employment is to go through the credentialing process. And that's where we verify their education, their licensure, and get medical references as it relates to their prior practice. When we do an expedited review, we look at a smaller number of factors. And if everything looks good in those smaller factors, we can bring people on temporary. And then we complete that full process, which normally takes 30 days, after they have onboarded. And so after we have completed that full process, then we can switch them over to permanent. So I think we won't know for sure whether these are people we plan to convert until we see whether they're converted. So we're going to look out about 120 days and then we'll probably be able to see what fraction of them are ones we retain for the long term. And, you know, we've heard a little bit about the push to get reemployed annuitants, former VA employees, retirees to come back. I'm wondering if you have any data on that, maybe how many retirees you've been able to bring back at this point? As of the last pay period, it appears we've done about just over 100 of those on the using the dual appointment waiver that we got from OPM, where we can bring people on where they don't have an offset to their retirement earnings. So just over 100 and about 60% of those are nurses. So really, we're focusing primarily on nurses. The next chunk of the personnel would be physicians and then actually HR specialists because our HR professionals are aware of the flexibility and are using it to try and bring back a few experienced people who can help them with this increased hiring load that we have right now. So you touched on this a little bit, but it seems like speed during this time to hire someone new or even bring someone back is really important. You know, you mentioned the credentialing issue. Were there other things that you all looked at to try to speed up the hiring process? 
time to hire uh, and making it faster has really been one of our goals for this year already. And as you're aware, the overall federal hiring process can be quite lengthy because there are so many requirements that we have to get people on board. So what we did right when we started looking at the need that we were going to have to hire a significant chunk of people, our leadership and Dr. Stone, our executive in charge, gave us a challenge goal to get to a three-day onboarding model, which is quite a significant shift from our normal time to hire, which is hovering around 90 days for VHA. And for our clinical occupations, we usually have a little bit of a longer hiring time frame due to those requirements to do credentialing and other checks. So what we did was we actually went directly to our field counterparts in human resources and said, what would it take to actually help you break down all these barriers? What do you need us to waive or to eliminate to get you where you need to be to get to three-day onboarding? And so we got a lot of great ideas from that discussion, and we worked really closely with the department's office of the chief human capital officer and in turn with OPM to get waivers to certain requirements and then to modify our own policies to waive or postpone things. So examples would be things like pre-placement physical exams, which sometimes take a bit of time to get scheduled and get the results back. So you're allowed to delay those. Pre-employment drug testing could also be delayed. These things are uh, activities that then would have to occur within 120 days after people come on board. The credentialing, as I already mentioned, um, fingerprinting, which is part of the background investigation process. So depending on whether a location had any challenges with keeping their fingerprinting office staffed. Uh, We had that in a few places where there were concerns about COVID outbreaks in certain locations where they weren't able to bring people in. It's difficult to do social distancing or fingerprinting. So we could defer those and bring people on with an interim vetting process for their background investigation. And then we also allow them to weigh, for example, certain tests, uh, medical tests that they might have for a provider when, so that they could do that right when they show up on duty before they begin their first shift. They could have those tests. We also shifted our onboarding process to allow for virtual onboarding. So that included not requiring in-person verification for I-9 documents and in-person administration of the oath of office, for example. So we really had to shift our processing to be more virtual. So we explored different tools like WebEx or Zoom to allow us to administer those types of things virtually. So it's been really putting our processes to the test in a way that I think is going to be really beneficial for us down the line. Now we need to look towards how do we actually cement these processes in the future so that we can be just as quick when we're trying to hire in normal times. I understand that a lot of the things that you did to speed up the hiring and onboarding process, things like waivers, this is all due to an emergency. But I mean, can you think of perhaps, you know, maybe one thing that you think you could borrow from this time period and apply it in the future when you're hiring? I think we could do a lot of these things, actually, uh, as part of our long-term requirements. So some of these are certainly OPM requirements that they gave us a special ability to waive, and some are our internal policies that we have in place, certainly to address situations where we've had perhaps a negative experience in the past. But we're taking this experience to kind of look through what is the data actually telling us? How frequently are we running into an issue with someone that we have onboarded without all of the checks in place? and had to make an unfortunate decision to uh, let someone go during their temporary appointment. So 
I do think that we will be able to retain some of these things, like perhaps using the expedited credentialing down the line or delaying pre-placement physicals. Those are absolutely things that we can find some flexibility in when we're onboarding people. Some of it may require us to get long-term deferrals from OCAM, or we may need legislation. So I think we're going to have to look really closely at that. We are working on that plan right now, reviewing the successes that we've had, what have been the most beneficial aspects, and what are the ones that are more flexible, and trying to come up with a list of recommendations about future hiring, whether that needs to be a regulatory or a legislative change or whether we can do it ourselves. You mentioned earlier that you're having to compete with everyone else who's looking for medical talent during the pandemic. Have you found that you've been able to offer any incentives or, or what exactly is the, the advertising push to someone that you're looking to hire? So I guess it's a two-part question. One, what are you saying to you know, try to get people to join the VA? And then two, are you able to offer any additional incentives on top of what you would otherwise offer? It's a great opportunity for us to remind people that it's always a best place to work. (laughs) So VHA is an excellent place to work. We have a tremendous amount of benefits. And when we are uh, pursuing potential candidates, we give them really a total rewards look at what does it mean to work for the VA versus working for either, usually not another agency for clinical providers. We're competing with private sector directly. So we provide them all the information about the great benefits we offer in the VA to include things like education debt reduction program. Uh, where we can offer a a significant amount of money to help them pay off their student loans up to $200,000 over a five-year period. We offer uh, other significant benefits, looking at across the board, our leave benefits are better, health insurance, and really pretty competitive compensation packages that we can offer in most markets. What we've been able to do in the short term with certain waivers that we have in place, first of all, from OPM, we were granted the authority to offer retention uh, incentives or overall 3Rs, recruitment, retention, and relocation incentives up to a 50%, which normally you have to go to OPM specifically request. So we've been able to authorize that flexibility broadly across the board in places where they're having difficulties with private sector potentially looking for to poach some of their talent. And we have been able to offer group retention incentives in critical areas such as emergency departments or ICUs or specific occupations. And then with the CARES Act, we got a lot of flexibility uh, that would allow us to waive pay caps across the board. So we recently got the guidance out to the field, and we are working through that right now to allow individual facilities and individual cases to make a decision about waiving aggregate pay limits, annual pay limits, or overtime or premium pay limits, if required, to recruit and attain. I'm wondering what other surprises maybe have you encountered during this process of looking for hiring improvements during the pandemic? The thing that I found actually really quite remarkable about all of this is the level of collaboration and cooperation that's happened across the government. We've been able to work very closely with OPM to get some of the flexibilities we needed to move forward uh, and also some best practice sharing across other agencies who have seen changes in how they're doing business, that we borrowed some ideas around um, the virtual recruiting practices. All of that has been very beneficial. The other thing that we've really seen as a benefit to this activity is it pushed our thinking so hard. We were working on making incremental improvements to time to hire, which is what I think you see across most federal agencies. But in truth, our private sector counterparts are able to onboard very quickly. This pushed us to get us to a very similar point to our private sector counterpoints 
it's going to change the way we hire forever. So I think that's a silver lining for us in our, at least in our changing our federal HR processes. Jessica Bongiorni, the Chief Officer for Workforce Management at the Veterans Health Administration, speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.